0: Hello, and welcome to introducing me i'm your host sarah i started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself each episode i will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background culture interests or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own world views today i would like to introduce you to jazz She is going to be talking about lots of fun things, mostly sports-related, a great group that she has founded, and her derby team that she started, along with, you know, she's got a podcast, so lots of things going on for Jazz, so I'm excited to let her tell her story today. So Jazz, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you?
1: Hi, my name is Jazz. In the derby community, I go by Fleur de Lethal. On my podcast, I also go by Lethal or Bitch 2. Um, the name of the podcast is Bitches Love Sports, so that's why. Um, so I'm the founder of ATX Women Sports and also the community of women athletes on Facebook. And I'm also one of the founders of Violet Crown Roller Derby based in Austin, Texas. And it is the newest competitive roller derby league in Austin. Um, and women in sports has been one of my passions for the longest time. Um, not only being a fan of women in sports, but also being a participant and also being a trainer and coach of several women uh, who play roller derby, which is a woman-dominated sport. But I've had the opportunity to train people um, of all genders, really.
0: So what is it that got you to start the organization ATX Women Sports?
1: I started ATX Women Sports because... Uh, I I don't know. It kind of depends on where, where you consider the start of it, like the idea or the actual founding of the group. So I realized the need for basically more communication between women's sports organizations. And I also realized a need for better coverage and better marketing for women's sports organizations. So right now the group is on hiatus because a lot of women's sports were on hiatus, especially roller derby um but when it comes back, one of the things that I started right before the pandemic and one of the things that I am going to make one of my first initiatives once the group becomes active again um, is to create a calendar so that we can all be aware of our events and that was just because like it just really started to feel like not only was there not enough coverage but getting coverage was actually difficult. Like going to news organizations and saying, "Hey, this is an event that's happening. This is why it's important in our sport. You know, please let the community know about it." And then they would just be like, mm, "No," um, and and it happened on so many levels. I remember even uh, talking to a reporter who wanted to talk about Junior Roller Derby, which at the time when that person reached out, Junior Roller Derby was not active, but Women's Roller Derby was. And they were so interested in Junior Roller Derby and what it was doing for the kids who were playing. And then when I said, well, hey, Women's Roller Derby is active right now. We have a game coming up in a few weeks. And a lot of what you're talking about, some of those you know positive life impacts, these women experience those things too. And he was just like, no. Like, (laughs) and I was, and that was my first realization that, that I was like, wow, like people really just don't want to cover women's sports for some reason. It's like, once you turn 18 and you're an athlete as a woman, people are just like, nah, don't care. Um, And so my thought was if we could start with generating more excitement within our own community of women athletes by telling each other about what we're doing, then maybe that excitement and that enthusiasm would leak out to the rest of the community and create more of a buzz about what we're doing and help increase the fan base for the women's sports organizations in Austin overall, because we have some really high performing women athletes who are accomplishing great things, who have, you know, organizations and teams that are practically dynasties that people just don't know about. Like the executioners who are the travel team for Texas Roller Girls, they literally were ranked top 10 in the world since the inception of the sport. The sport of flag track roller derby was invented here in Austin, which a lot of people don't know. And even once we started spreading the sport around the world, uh, the Texecutioners remained as one of the top organizations um, competition-wise for years, for over 15 years. Um, and then you have teams like the Austin Outlaws, which is one of the women's contact football team uh, teams that has been around for 25 years. Um, the Valkyries, the rugby team, I don't know how long they've been around, but, you know, I follow their Facebook here and there and I see that they win a lot of games. And, you know, when it comes to sports, people are like, oh, we like supporting winning teams. You know, we like supporting teams that are seeing success. And I'm like, well, this team is seeing success. They're winning, they're performing, they're respected in their sports by other teams who play against them. But the people in their own community are just like, we don't know who you are and we don't care. And so I know in the Derby community, the accomplishments of some of these other women's sports was like little known. And so I was just like, well, you know, if we want to get enthusiasm and awareness from the community, maybe we should start with each other. And so that was kind of the goal, just to have everything in one place where people could go to one source and see, okay, this is what's happening in women's sports in Austin. And these are the cool things that these women are accomplishing. Um, And then I also plan to put a little bit of money behind it. I know sometimes when it comes to marketing, that's not the number one priority as far as as investment of funds. And so I was like, you know, if I create a group and there are posts in this group related to what these organizations are doing, it wouldn't be too much for me to take a few bucks here and there to um, help sponsor those posts among uh, Facebook users in the Austin community. So that's kind of like a phase two thing.
0: Right. And as you explained it, like, it's so important. um, You know, the markets there grow the market, grow the audience. So have you always been involved with sports? I have been for a long time, but I wouldn't
1: say always. I honestly don't understand where my involvement came from, because the people in my family, they're not big into sports. Um, My dad was a musician. And so music was a really big thing among me and my siblings. And I do know how to play some instruments. And I was in the band. Um, but outside of marching band when I was in college, I, I tried out for the rugby team. Something just pulled me in that direction. And honestly, I wasn't very good. Um, and it, <laughs> but it might be for the best that I figured that out because then by the time I got to roller derby and it took me a while to pick up on some things and develop athletically, it wasn't really a surprise to me. But what really helped with roller derby was that there wasn't like this finite amount of time to get it with rugby you have a certain amount of time to learn the sport and then you have a tryout and then you either make the team or you don't. And then if you do, you either, you get so much playing time based on your skill, which, you know, if you've ever played a sport, you know, that playing time kind of helps you develop. Um, But if you don't make the team for some reason, or you don't get that playing time, it's just kind of like, oh, well, it is what it is. This is the season. This is your time to try out, whatever. Whereas in roller derby, it's like, Even if you don't make a competitive team, you can keep coming to practice and keep getting better. You can practice on your own, um, get people together to practice with you. And there's just a lot more time and a lot more opportunities to kind of figure out your learning style and get better. So I I would say yes and no. Yes, in the sense that I've been into sports since I was a, a young adult, but I wouldn't say forever, forever, like not since I was like a kid, kid, no.
0: So then, how did you get interested in roller derby to the point of wanting to start your own team?
1: Um, when did I want to start? Man, <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> these are questions that don't sound hard, but like for me, they're hard questions to answer. Um, I mean, getting involved with roller derby was—I don't know—I think something about derby just appeals to my competitive nature because when. I was first introduced to the idea that I could be a part of something like that. I lived in Nashville, and I was working at a call center. And a woman who sat near me bugged me for six months straight about going to try recreational derby, and she was consistent. Man, I mean, six months straight, twice a week, she asked me if I wanted to try rec league. And one day, I finally did it, Um, and it was it was hard. It wasn't a great experience because I sucked. I couldn't skate, and so it was hard figuring it out, but for some reason I was just like, I'm going to figure it out. Like, I'm not gonna quit. This is not gonna beat me. Um, but the the idea of starting my own team actually happened because of the pandemic. During the time when I started Violet Crown, before it became Violet Crown, it was a group of skaters who wanted to get our wheels back under us uh, since the hiatus. Uh, basically the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, um, in in an attempt to keep everybody safe, they created a return to play plan that basically dictated when leagues could begin operating again based on the COVID cases in their area as a percentage of the population. And so when you live in a state like Texas, where people like there are so many people who are against masks, are against, you know, social distancing and just determined to open back up. Uh, basically there was like a dip where it's like cases got low. We got low enough to where we could start again. And then like, as soon as that happened, things started opening back up. Everybody started like not wearing masks and those cases started rising and we had to shut down. And there were some of us who were like, man, we want to get back to skating. Um, The local laws allowed us to start skating. So I was like, well, hey, we're not going to get the league in any trouble by saying the league should start back up. But for those of us who want to start skating again, Let's just go start practicing our fundamentals. And then after doing that for like three months, we were like, okay, we want to move up to contact. But that meant two things. One, we needed more people. And two, it was in our best interest to get um, insurance. And so that was a process that involved establishing ourselves as a league and getting insurance through another body and then um, beginning to hold organized practices. So that's really where that started was just... um, a desire to get started again at a time when our league wasn't able to because they wanted to adhere to the, the rules and standards of their governing body.
0: And so have you been able to create your own sort of rules so that you are still being precautious when it comes to COVID? Yes. Well, with Violet Crown, we have a
1: vaccination requirement. So that was another thing with the WFTDA. They didn't allow leagues to require vaccination because of Access equity—the fact that some people can't get vaccinations for various reasons. Apparently, I—I I say apparently just because I don't know anybody personally who has said that they literally can't get a vaccination. It's either they will or they won't. Um, but yeah, so we require vaccinations. So that's one thing. We also uh, take attendance at every practice, so we do a form of tracing. It's not as intricate as what the NFL does, for example, because they have more money and resources than we do. But we do keep track of you know who has. Um, been to practices and we do require to pe- for people to uh, report when they start showing symptoms, they do start showing symptoms are required to get tested. Um, even if those symptoms go away after a couple of days, um, they do have to report if somebody they've been in close contact with has had COVID um, and they are required to also get tested in those situations. Um, we have a policy that's like three pages long that outlines you know, our tracing policies, vaccination requirements, reporting policies, and what would happen if somebody were to um, end up showing symptoms and or testing positive, and they had been at practice within the past 14 days. So yes.
0: (laughs) But that's like so crucial nowadays, and is really good to hear that like, you've worked out the policies, you've made sure people are staying safe. Now, are you able to um, participate with other teams and do more than just regulated practices? We are. We are. We're still in the process of organizing
1: bouts, but the insurance that we got was through the uh, USA Roller Sports. And so there are other teams across the country who are also covered under USA Roller Sports. So that's kind of where we're starting in terms of looking for potential opponents. Um, And then there's also the option where if we get enough people, we could do home bouts. Where we would take our own organization and split it up into two teams, and we could compete against each other for fans in the Austin area to watch us compete against each other. Um, Teams against other competitors probably would happen outside of Austin unless we find a good bouting venue, which hasn't been easy (laughs) post COVID. Um, A lot of the venues that we would normally use for bouting, they've either Um, Some of them have started to lend themselves to other types of skating, so like speed skating or jam skating, and they don't want a bunch of plow stops happening on their floor, um, or they just don't want to take away time from those other endeavors because skating has become so popular. They make so much money through an open skate session or a speed skating meet, they might actually lose money by shutting down, You know, even even by allowing spectators. It's just kind of unknown how big a derby audience would be right now. Um, Another place their landlord literally cut their space in half, so it's just not big enough to hold bouts. Um another place now they only do volleyball. I like their floor didn't really lend itself to Derby in the first place. But you know, we just don't have an agreement with them anymore. Basically all the places where we used to hold bouts are no longer available. So we'd have to find a place. But um yeah, we we could compete. We we are open to that. And we have been skating long enough to where we're about ready. So
0: Great. So then what have you been able to do in terms of like, where have you been practicing? Well, we've been practicing at um, a park we call BART.
1: I think the full name is like Bartholomew District Park. Um, It's in the Mueller area. And there is a flat space where there's uh, years ago, they actually painted the lines for a flat track on the surface um, and it's a space where a lot of skaters go these days. I don't know what made skating so popular, but it is now. I think, I think, it's, I think it was TikTok or something. Um, but there's a, a track that is painted on the ground, so it's really convenient because we have that there. Um, it is also used by a couple of other local derby leagues, and so we tried to reserve time just like those leagues did, but the city was basically like, other leagues already have time reserved and we can't block off all the time to make it not available to the public. So you'll just, you know, be able to go by the first come first serve rules that the rest of the public does. And yeah, so we're like, okay, (laughs) I guess we're just not high enough on the Derby totem pole for the city yet, I guess.
0: Well, and it sounds like there is a lot of opportunity for a derby in austin i mean like austin's a very big city of course so is it is there high demand
1: i wouldn't say there's high demand not yet anyway once all the leagues are active again and hold tryouts we'll see i hope there is because each league it brings something different to the table right now so the reason why I say I hope there's high demand is because that would mean that there are people who are looking for different styles of derby and different cultures of organization. And that's great, you know. Um, But right now, each league, our membership is actually lower than it was before the pandemic. So every league is trying to um, get their numbers back up. So we'll see. We'll find out in 2022.
0: (laughs) Are the other leagues at any point like has there been changes in protocol because of covid because like the original thought was i mean i think we all started the pandemic of like we're gonna beat this it's gonna you know not last super long so when you had really restrictive like return to play it'd be like oh well of course we'll get there and now cases keep going back up and things are constantly being changed
1: uh Yeah, so protocol has changed, Um, you know, the the return to play plan that, for example, kept Texas Roller Girls from practicing for months, that has been adjusted. So starting October 1st, all leagues under the WFTDA were able to basically set their own rules for how to move forward um, from that date. And so right now, Texas is still in the point of um, reorganizing itself so that it can bring in new members and actually start practices with the current members. Um, One of the other leagues is Austin Anarchy. They are a Men's Roller Derby Association league. Um, And even though it's called the Men's Roller Derby Association, they are actually open gender. Uh, And so they have their own set of rules, which I'm less familiar with since I'm not a member of that league right now. Um, And with Violet Crown, the, the body that provides our insurance, USARS, they just are a little bit more hands off in terms of what you do in regards to handling the pandemic or anything post-pandemic. Um, so right now, not only are people dealing with changes in protocol, but just trying to figure out who's actually coming back, who's going to be involved, and in what capacity they're going to be involved is kind of determining how often they're going to practice and if and when they'll hold bouts and if and when they'll hold practices or tryouts and things of that nature. So. Yeah, there are a lot of changes happening for the established organizations in Austin.
0: And what sort of other women's sports are you going to be covering and trying to help promote through your ATX Women's Sports Organization? Well,
1: pre-pandemic, the ones that I was most interested in, um, in addition to roller derby, were uh, rugby, soccer, and contact football. And that was because those were the teams that, um, based on what I was seeing, were the most competitive in terms of competing outside of the city of Austin. So there are a ton of rec leagues where uh, people will compete against each other here in the city. But um, basically, because of our small staff, we don't have like a whole room of writers to create posts and keep track of everything Um, we wanted to really, really focus on the teams that were actually traveling and representing the city of Austin regionally, nationally, or in the case of roller derby, globally, um, internationally. Um, And in addition to it being a time saver to to focus on a few teams, um, it also really sheds light on the scope of what these teams are accomplishing. Because it's one thing to say, I want a championship and it's a championship um, amongst other people in your city. But it's another thing to say, this team won a national championship representing the city of Austin. You know, that that kind of gets attention. And I think our thinking was, like, if people can see, like, how big some of these teams are going, then they'll appreciate everything that are uh, that's underneath those umbrellas as well.
0: And pre-pandemic, were you able to kind of get some of that right? recognition um, like what you were looking for originally when trying to, you know, share things out? Were you kind of getting some traction? We were starting
1: to. The last thing that I did before the pandemic was I had completed a calendar of the upcoming games uh, of all the women's sports teams that we were going to be following, and so it was all on this spreadsheet, color-coded, so any given weekend, you could see what women's sports were going on, and how to get tickets, and where to go. It was great, and then everything got shut down, so as far as the coverage part, not yet. That was kind of like the phase one thing, was just like getting that calendar made so that it would be easier for people to find it, and then honestly, I was kind of expecting the coverage to start with us, because one of the things that I noticed was that like, okay, if the more, the more information that you can give a news source, the more likely they are to cover it because it's easier. Right. So I was like, well, if we start by creating our own website and we just put these stories on the website and get people to share them, If it's a good quality website, most places won't be able to tell the difference between this is an organization sharing news about itself versus this is an organization sharing news that the community is interested in. All they see is, oh, this is a post. It's a link to a website. And when I go to this website, it's a good website. And there's this article. This is cool. And if enough people share it, news organizations might be like, well, this is something the community seems interested in. So instead of one team sending one press release to a news organization, you're able to put something on a social media platform and these news organizations can see like, oh, this is getting a lot of likes. Maybe we should pay more attention to this soccer team or should pay attention to this roller derby team. And so that was the whole idea. So one thing that I can say is once we do become active in January, like, yes, there will be more coverage because we will be covering it.
0: <laughs> and is that the plan to kind of restart things up with that in January?
1: Yes, that is a plan to restart things with us doing our own coverage. And actually, and, you know, this is, um, this is an exclusive uh, for you. One of the things that we're going to work on, we kinda, we have to kind of figure out how exactly to make it work in a way that makes sense. But what we want to do is basically create a form so that if a team has a story that they want want told, whether it's an upcoming game, whether, whether it's an important win, or somebody on their team is doing something cool in the community that they want people to know about, they can basically fill out a form so that we can add that story to our website And let that be one of the public stories that we then later share as a post, because what that does is instead of um, relying on our small group of people to write everything, people from these teams can basically write the stories themselves. And it goes on a website. um, It goes on a blog. And then it will be shared to social media with them just having to create a headline and giving a quick summary.
0: And so how do you juggle all of this? Do you have an additional like full-time job outside of sports? I do. I'm a personal trainer. So
1: (laughs) one of the great things about that is that um, it makes my schedule a little bit more flexible than the average person. I'm able to determine which hours I work. Um, I'm able to set a rate so that I'm, you know, I'm paid what I feel is reasonable for the hours that I work for a given client. Um, and during the hours that I am not working, like right now, for example, I'm not obligated to sit in a cubicle and pretend like I'm working. I can do other things like you know, talk to other podcasters or work on the website or things like that. Um, so that's kind of how I make it work. Um, so like, for example, my first client this morning was at seven o'clock um, and I've already seen three clients today. So now I have this break in the middle of the day and then you know, I'll have a couple more clients later on today. So it's like I still do end up working several hours, but I'm able to kind of juggle and move things around. And then there's other things like uh, programming for those clients. Um, I I believe in continuous education and things like that, that I can kind of determine how much time needs to be spent on those things. And so it's not like I am limited to a certain number of hours per week. I'm able to basically work at a pace that allows me to fit in, in more things.
0: Right. And did you have to completely overhaul your personal trainer stuff when the pandemic hit?
1: Yes. (laughs) So at first we weren't going to completely overhaul it, but then there was that whole time period where uh, basically the, the mandate by the state said that gyms weren't allowed to be open, you know, and at the time we actually had a separate physical space. Now now we're basically operating out of um, my partner's garage. But at the time we had a separate physical space out in Lakeway that we had just opened in November of 2019. And so we were literally just starting to get clients in, the community was starting to hear about us when all this happened. And it was really terrible because the budget that we created, we had created that thinking that we'd be having group classes with 15 people in those classes. Um, And then even once gyms were allowed to open back up because of the requirement of space between people, we had to cut that down to like a maximum of like six people in the class, which meant we would either have to raise prices more than double what we had planned for them to be before, or we would have to significantly cut our budget. Plus during the pandemic, um, some of the other trainers who are working in the gym, they just jump ship. Um, So that was like less revenue from less clients coming in. And then during that period where gyms weren't allowed to have people in them at all, we had to learn how to do virtual training, which was something that we hadn't done before. And so the process of learning how to train wasn't that much different. It was a little bit just because of like little things like I'm used to being able to like get a 360 view of a client to check their form, for example. Plus, communication is a little bit different when you're in the same room with the person um, versus communicating, you know, through a webcam um but then also getting clients virtually was like it it was a different process you know it was like getting clients to come into a physical space was you know like we'd send out mailers or use a lot of word of mouth get people to come to our classes and then see if they wanted to sign up for one-on-one training for example but then trying to get virtual clients at a time when everybody was doing it was just it was a whole thing we had to like go through classes to figure out how to get clients which cost us more money it was a mess. I, I was not a fan, but I'm I'm glad that I have that ability now because there are some people who still don't want to come to a, a physical gym. There are some people who I learned never liked going into the gym and they were always more of a fan of virtual training, but now they have more options. So um, it's a good thing that we went through it. It was not fun to go through, but um, it's given us more options to offer clients. Um, it's allowed me to put a few more tools in my tool belt. So I'm like, Hey, you know, make the best of it, I guess.
0: Right. You got to make the best of what's thrown at you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so do you want to talk a little bit about your podcast?
1: Sure. So my podcast is called Bitches Love Sports, and it is hosted by three roller derby athletes. And between the three of us, we bring the perspectives of competitive athletes, coaches, trainers, educators, um, and people who have worked, um, on the business side of things in the sports world in some capacity. So no roller derby isn't on the same level as, you know, a professional basketball team or professional soccer team, but there are some things that we deal with that give us a peek into what some of the decision makers sometimes have to deal with due to the nature of our sport. And the fact that a lot of athletes also have to operate the organizations that we skate for. Um, and so we bring all those perspectives to the podcast and we talk about sports, uh, through the lens that we like to view it. Um, you know, one of those things, uh, being that we get to talk about women's sports a lot more, which is really good. Uh, one of the things that we talk about is, is how many other things are covered on mainstream sports talk besides women's sports. Like, um, a lot of mainstream pundits would literally rather debate made up scenarios about men's sports than to talk about what's actually happening, happening in women's sports, which is interesting. Um, But also one thing that we realize is that like in the sports world, um, as it is in other male dominated uh, hobbies, like, you know, anime, comics, stuff like that, there's a lot of gatekeeping in the sports world. And so among our listeners, we like to create a space where it's like, you can be a fan in whatever style you want to be a fan. So that's one thing that you'll hear a lot on our podcast. It's like, if you were to go to like a sports bar or talk to sports with a bunch of um, cisgender heterosexual men, if you were to start talking about how hot some of the guys are, for example, one they immediately start to protest like oh my god we don't want to hear this two pretty much any opinion you have about the game after that they would automatically dismiss like because if you assume that the player that uh, or that the team that your favorite player plays for is going to win they're going to assume that you're not basing that on any actual analysis of the game they're going to think you're saying that because they're hot whereas we're like no, we can you know, find these players attractive. We can also look at the game objectively. We can also bring our experience as athletes to some of the things that are happening during the game and also outside of the game. Like sometimes we'll do an analysis of an interview or the way a coach is approaching their team just to compare it to our experience with a good or a bad coach and, and what that might look like and how that might impact the team. Um, so I really like the the podcast for that reason. I, know, I don't know if it's kind of like a, a bit much to say I like my own podcast, of course I do. But <laughs> I guess it's better to say that's something that I'm proud of about the podcast is that we bring so many different perspectives and we talk about the sports world from more than one perspective. It's like, we don't feel obligated to be one thing or another because like most women, we are multiple things. It's like, yeah, sometimes... We'll have an interview with a guest and it'll be very, um, how can I say it? So sometimes it almost turns into like a cultural analysis, you know, where where we'll get into some deep topics regarding uh, trends that we're seeing in society, or especially whenever we're talking about things like uh, the recent changes to the International Olympic Committee's regulations for trans athletes. You know, those are some very deep topics that we take seriously. And other times we're debating who's hotter between C.D. Lamb and Odell Beckham Jr., you know, (laughs) But from our perspective, as a fan, you don't have to be one way or another. You know, all those conversations are important. <laughs> so we bring it all to the table.
0: Right. So why did you um, and the other hosts decide to start the podcast?
1: Um, initially, it was just for fun. I I, I don't know. It, it was an idea from another friend of mine, honestly, a guy friend. Um, and I was talking to him about a game that was happening and it's like I literally I was I was talking about the game specifically and I wish I remembered which game or who I was talking about but I was like breaking down some of the stats from the game and then I was like uh so and so you know he scored this many points but he only played this many minutes and and then I was like oh and he's so hot like or something like that I just like randomly threw that in there and he was like I think it's so funny how you'll go from like really breaking down stats and what happened during the game, but then you always get distracted by like how hot some of these guys are. Um, and he was like, that's hilarious. You should, you know, start making like Facebook videos or something. It was something like that. And then I was like, is that really funny? And he's like, it would probably be funnier to other people, but yes, it's funny. <laughs> and so like, I hit up one of my friends, I was like, Hey, do you want to start this podcast where we talk about spot where we talk about sports through this lens? And she was like, sure and we hit up another friend. um, And it just kind of went from there. So it was like, initially, we were like, oh, we'll just do it for fun. We'll do a couple of episodes per month. And then before we knew it, we were doing like multiple episodes per week. um, Because we would literally be like, at the time the NBA playoffs were happening, and we'd be sitting there texting about like the playoffs. And we'd be like, oh, we should record an episode about this. It's like, okay, when are you free? Like, we had no schedule. It was just like, oh, this game happened. Let's talk about it in front of a mic. Um, And that's how it went. And then we started getting feedback from people that they actually really liked it. And we were like, oh, wow, people are actually listening to this. (laughs) That's so crazy. And so then the Olympics happened, which like normally during the summer, the sports news cycle would be very slow. But between the NBA playoffs um, and the WNBA playoffs, getting a little bit more attention, or actually the WNBA playoffs hadn't happened. It was the uh, WNBA all-star weekend and their regular season. Those things were getting more attention along with the commissioner's cup cup. And then um, Olympics on top of that, it just gave us a lot of material to talk about on the podcast. So it was easy to like really
0: keep it going during those initial weeks. And do you find that it's still easy to keep it going? Oh yeah. Um, especially this
1: time of year. Like, For one thing, sports itself is on a 24 hour news cycle. Like I have a few sports apps that I get notifications for. And the other day I was getting my nails done and it's like the the headlines started coming through about the changes that the NFL was making due to COVID and stuff that was happening with Urban Meyer and stuff that was happening with different basketball teams. And it's just like, it's practically constant. And so this time of year, you've got the NFL playoffs that are about to happen. Um, The WNBA just did their draft lottery. The basketball season just started. And like Christmas Day for the NBA is a really big deal. Um, And then you've got um, women's volleyball has been getting more coverage on ESPN for some reason. Um, And there have been some pretty major headlines with women's soccer. Uh, Hockey is getting more coverage there's always something to talk about. And even like over the holidays, when my co-hosts aren't going to be available, I was like, well, I can do kind of like commentary on the Patriots documentary that just came out. Um, What is it called? Men in the Arena on ESPN+. And so it's like, between the sports themselves, and all the content that comes out related to sports, we could probably do an episode every day if we had the time, like literally. So yeah. And then there are so many interesting people to talk to because even though we don't have access to the the biggest names in sports yet, um, interviewing people like uh, some of the sports attorneys that we've been able to talk to, um, we got to interview a former uh, Dallas Cowboys boys wide receiver. Um, we've interviewed several people in the derby community and had some great conversations with them. So yeah, there's, there's no shortage there at all. I think we can keep this going for a while and, and we plan to.
0: Right. And it, it sounds very cool. Now it sounds sort of like your life is being dominated by fitness and sports. Yes. <laughs> do, do you have a life outside of fitness and sports?
1: Um, I really like anime. (laughs) I like anime and Marvel movies. So if I'm not watching sports, I'm probably watching anime or or some Marvel movie or some other thing on Netflix that involves magic or witches or monsters or aliens. Usually magic and monsters is is usually the thing. But even even with anime, (laughs) you might find this funny. Even with anime, that's become a fitness thing. So the guy that I that I work with, we run Empirical Fitness together. Um, he created a group uh, last year called Nerds Who Lift Weights, and so one of the things that we've been uh, doing uh, at the end of the at the end of 2021, I think we're going to um, IkiCon, which is a convention here in Austin, luckily, so we don't have to travel too far. That's going to run December 31st through January 2nd, and I think that's going to be our third or fourth convention. But basically, we've been running this panel for nerds who lift weights um, because we noticed that fitness influencers kind of started to target anime fans with like these anime themed workouts that were just ineffective. And there are some people who are like so into cosplay that they really want to look the part. And so especially whenever it comes to like the protagonists in a lot of these series, that means looking really, really fit. So we were like, what if we did a panel teaching people the actual principles that they need to get fit and not like this fitness propaganda that's being peddled to them by these fitness influencers? So even with my love for anime, (laughs) it's like fitness has started to like leak in there (laughs) a little bit. But yeah, I do have I do have a life, a little bit of one <laughs> outside of fitness and sports. and it involves anime and uh, superheroes. my other loves.
0: <laughs> that is great. Um, now because we're recording this uh, in December before the Christmas holiday, a Marvel movie just came out. Yes. Have you had the chance to see it? Spider-Man? Because mm-hmm. Hawkeye also came out and nobody's talking about it. Right.
1: <laughs> but yes, I, I actually saw it last night um, and it lived up to the hype. I was seeing a lot of the posts from people who luckily did not spoil it. I'm very proud of the Marvel fans who are on my timeline for not spoiling anything. But I saw it and I was like, wow, that was extremely well done. I expected a good movie from Marvel. Um but that was even better than than what I expected. And I can't wait until uh, the next one comes out.
0: And so then what about Hawkeye? Because it is, as you said, you know, not getting hype. I haven't seen it yet.
1: I haven't seen it yet, but I plan to. So like Cinemark sent me this thing and they were like, you can be a platinum member in 2022 if you go see six more movies in 2021. And so I, when I got that email, there's like three weeks left in December. So I was like, I can do it. I think I can do it. (laughs) What's the plan? Just get six more movies out before the end of the year. Now I only need four more. I've got it. I've got it. Four more in in 13 days. I'm on it.
0: (laughs) That's great. I'm not sure I specifically have any more questions for you. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners about you personally the things you advocate for kind of the floor is yours um sure I guess
1: I'll wrap up by saying I don't know when this is coming out or like where most of the audience is located but um if you follow me on Instagram you can find me at lethal on Instagram so that's f-l-e-u-r-d-e-l-e-t-h-a-l um, or the podcast, which is Bitches Love Sports, but there's a number one in place of the I because Instagram doesn't let you put the word bitch in your handle. Um, we are actually launching a group this week called the BLS Community, and it's for people who are listeners of the podcast or people who just support our style because we noticed that our social media following is way larger than our listener base, which is really interesting. I, I don't know how that happened, actually. But um, it's basically going to be a community for people who want to um, be able to talk about sports with other people without the gatekeeping, without the judgment, without the mansplaining. So right now it is going to be limited to people whose pronouns are limited to she, her, they, and them. Um, But... It is going to be a space where we can talk about sports openly and honestly, and you can be like whatever kind of fan you want to be and not worry about people discrediting your opinion just because you like a football player because he has cute puppies. (laughs) Michael Parsons posted an Instagram story of his puppies today, and I was just like, oh my God, they're so cute. Um, So that's why I thought about that. So look for the BLS community. If you can't find it, if you're following um, either of those accounts on Instagram, we're going to post about it. Um, And then as far as me, I I think one of the things that um, does tie all my passions together is that I am a big proponent of people being the truest version of themselves, assuming that they're not harming themselves or anybody else. I think that's why I love nerd shit. I love animation. I love the Derby community because I think what uh, appeals to me about those communities is just the space that people have to represent themselves in the way that they want to present themselves. And it might sound like something small to a person who's never struggled with presenting themselves and like basically making their outside match their inside um, or presenting themselves the way they see themselves versus the way they think people want to see them. Because even with fitness, that's my thing. I have some clients who are women who um, it's just it's just really upsetting what diet culture has done to women's relationship with food and with their weight and with fitness in general. And I'll have women who will be like, I, you know, after, after a while, when they get more comfortable, they might say something like, I want to feel sexier. Is that okay? I think I want to lose weight, but that feels weird. It's almost like they're like, I've, I want to have a different body type than what I have, but I'm afraid to say that because I think it'll make me sound shallow or conceited, or I shouldn't want to be sexy because I want my boyfriend to think I'm sexy. It's wrong to do that for a man, right? I'm like, it's your relationship. Like, you know, if you want to be sexy and you feel like having abs or, you know, a more toned butt will do that for you. Like, do it, you know, because if you don't do it because somebody else said so, either way, you're doing something because somebody said so. So, like, figure out what, what would make you the happiest. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just like there's something about finding that version of yourself and giving yourself permission to access that that just unlocks a whole different area of life for people that I wish everybody had access to. Like it really makes a difference, not only in how you see yourself, it makes a difference in how you interact with other people. It makes a difference in how you approach what you do for a living, how you approach your hobbies. It can really improve your relationships with the people around you, whether that's, you know, your partner, your spouse, your coworkers, your kids. Once you give yourself permission to be who you want to be, it's literally life-changing. I think that's why one of the most important rituals to a lot of people in, in roller derby is giving yourself a derby name because now it's like, not only have you unlocked that athlete inside of you at whichever level it might be, it's like, now you've also named yourself, you named that identity that you've discovered, you know, and that's a really, um, That's a really important process for a lot of people. So I think that's just like my last final thing is just that if if that's something that you've been struggling with for a while of giving yourself permission to be that person that you want to be, to pursue those interests that you have, or to, you know, change your body composition in the way that you want to, like give yourself permission, find a community that supports that. Um, and, And as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone else, like go for it and see where that path leads you. And it usually leads to a really awesome place.
0: I love it. That was some great words there. Now, at the end of every episode, I do ask a random question. That's something a little bit thought and different. So my question for you is what is the best way to relax? What is the best way to relax? Oh, that's a hard question. I don't do a lot of
1: relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, Honestly, I think I think the best way to relax is one to just start by understanding what the reality of your situation is. And I say that because usually if we aren't relaxed, it's because there's some something that's stopping us. And a lot of times those things that stop us from relaxing are things that um, we've attached a lot of weight to. So I usually say start by figuring out what you've attached weight to and remove those things in your mind and let yourself do something unproductive for a while. That might be playing a game on your phone, might be watching something on Netflix you don't normally watch, but just allow yourself to do something where no weight is attached and you can literally just do it for the pleasure in that moment. So for me, that's usually like laying on the couch and watching anime. Relaxed.
0: All right, that brings this episode to a close, and hopefully we made it through all of our technical difficulties that we were having earlier, so I'm so thankful uh, that we have had some good conversations here with Jazz, and you know, as she mentioned, she gave you her Instagram handle, that website will be in the description along with a link to her podcast website. And of course, our podcast information is in the description as well. Our website brings you to all past episodes, text versions of the episodes, along with how to become a guest and all of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And if you would like to support the podcast monetarily or be a guest, that information is right there directly in the description. I'd love to have you reach out to me. I love hearing from new people. So thank you so much, Jazz, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye.